Renee Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Booby Gibson. I'm Josh Craig. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And hey, you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champions. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chicken. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your hey, labrum and you can go on the You thing. know what? <laughs> it's only game. Why you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hold on, bitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer to the best of the Akron Zips. Now, it's time for SPT. We are... Live from the University of Akron, ladies and gentlemen, this is the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is the first SBT of July, as this is the July 3rd edition of Sports Power Talk. My name is Jake Murren, and I'm back as your host of the show today. Joining me today are my analysts. First, he made his giant return to SBT last week. He's back again this week, and now he isn't going anywhere. It's Dan Groen. How's it going, everyone? Happy 4th of July weekend. Of course. And second, he's still considered the rookie here at WZIP Sports, but he's got the knowledge of a veteran. It's Matt Permuka. Good morning, Akron. Good morning, Akron is right. And guys, are you ready for today's show? Dude, like nothing went down in this week in sport. Like quite literally, I can think of no events. Yeah, what are we going to talk about for two whole hours up here? (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Nothing happened. Nothing. Yeah, making the outline was by far the hardest one to make. It was, it was very hard. But of course, we're all joking because I don't even know if I'm ready with the week in sports that we just had. There's so much to get to that I'm concerned we won't even get to it all. In an hour, we will talk about football with the USFL championship game taking place today and some shakeups in the college football world. I'll also break down all the action from last night's UFC pay-per-view, UFC 276, as Dan also breaks down all the action from the Stanley Cup final. To wrap up the show, we'll talk about the MLB, have our Player of the Week and Around the Roof segments, and talk about the miraculous wins of our very own Cleveland Guardians. But first, for the next hour, we have to cover the sport that has too many headlines to count, too many stories, rumors, trades, and signings to keep track of. Of course, it's the NBA as free agency kicked off this week. And gentlemen, there's so much to talk about, but let's get started by talking about the team that's close to home in the Cleveland Cavaliers making headlines yesterday as they extended all-star Darius Garland to a five-year, $193 million deal that could be worth up to $231 million. Wow. What did you guys make of this extension of all-star Darius Garland? I knew that the contract we were going to end up giving to him ultimately was going to be very big. Just because, you know, with sports, every 
uh, every new contract is like the biggest. So I knew it was going to end up being very big, but I'm just glad that we have him locked down long term for the next five years, six years maybe if you include this year. And I'm just happy to see this core uh, sticking around. I was at a furniture store yesterday with my mother when that news broke, and I audibly cheered while I was trying out a new recliner. Best news of the day. (laughs) Two years ago, this guy statistically was the worst player in the league, and now he's a max contract player and potentially a perennial all-star. I'm wearing his jersey right now. I know none of you can see it because this is a radio show. But Darius Garland, he is my favorite Cav to watch since Kyrie Irving and LeBron James. He's made watching the Cavs so much fun for me. So glad we we locked him up, and I don't feel like I wasted $120 on this jersey now that I can wear it for five or six years. Yeah, that's a great point, and I kind of agree with you. He is very entertaining to watch, and probably my favorite Cavalier since Kyrie Irving as well. This deal marks the largest deal in franchise history. Last season, all-star Darius Garland averaged 21.7 points per game, 8.6 assists per game, also shot 46.2% from the field, and of course made his first all-star game this let's talk about the deal itself though i just said it marked the largest deal in franchise history it's almost superstar money do you think it was a bit too much or do you think the Cavs have faith that darius garland is not only that guy but he's going to be that guy for the future and even improve Uh, like i said it was a very hefty contract but I think it's going to end up looking like a pretty good deal in a, in a few years, just because, like I said, every new contract is the new biggest one. So I think that it's going to be a very good deal. And I guess what I guess the biggest question about his contract is, what does that mean for Colin Sexton and the rest of the team going forward? How much money are we going to have to play around with that? Very true. But when you have a young player that can get the max, you give him the max, or else mm-hmm. that player will go to somewhere where he can get the max. Yep. And you know, it's kind of a no-brainer. You know, you you're a you're a smaller market team. I mean, definitely not like a small market by any means, but still any team would jump on the chance to grab a guy like Darius Garland in free agency if you didn't offer him that. So I mean, you had no choice and it's not like it was a bad choice. Right. And like I mentioned, it is almost like superstar money. And you kind of have to question exactly what makes a superstar. So I kind of compare him to John Morant a little bit. And in this deal, I would like Darius Garland to be as good, if not a step behind a John Morant caliber player. But is he like a John Morant, but without the flashiness? You know, John Morant is constantly getting media attention, nationwide media attention. Whereas Darius Garland, you know, sure, he's come up in headlines every once in a while, making his first All-Star game. He had a fantastic year. I think the sky is the limit for Darius Garland. I think he can be that guy who's just a step behind John Morant, which is why I like this deal. I think it's earned. What do you guys make of that whole, like, John Morant uh, comparison, though? I think with Garland, he's he's supposed to be your 1A guy until Evan Mobley grows into his body. I think toward, like, towards the end of this upcoming season when Mobley starts to like you know grow into himself, starts putting on muscle and everything, we're going to see a transfer of like on the hierarchy of who's the guy. And Darius Garland, he, he is that guy now, but when he becomes your second option after Evan Mobley becomes what we all know and expect Evan Mobley to become, I think this duo is going to be something. Like He doesn't have to be Ja Morant, assuming Evan Mobley is what Evan Mobley is. 
Yeah, I don't know necessarily if we need like that one A guy, to be honest. I think that his uh, play style in terms of uh, – sorry about that. I think his play style in terms of I, – I think it's very similar to John Morant, but I don't I don't know if he necessarily has that ceiling just because he's not he, – he's sharing a very good team, whereas John Morant is like the guy on the, on the Grizzlies. I think that the Cavs are a much more well-rounded team, and I think you don't need him to be that elite superstar. Yeah, I also want to talk about Evan Mobley a little bit here, too, because you had a lot of strong words for Evan Mobley, Matt. And I don't even know if I think of Evan Mobley that highly being that future number one option. I think it would be great, especially having those two young guys on the team, Garland Mobley. And if Mobley grows into his body, like you said, and becomes that number one option, having Darius Garland as a number two option is great news for all Cavs fans. Dan, I want to get your thoughts on that. Do you agree with that sentiment? Uh yeah, pretty much. I think that I don't know. I just love I just love the 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 uh, potential of this team. You know, get your get your superstars locked down, and I don't know. I'm just very excited to uh, see what this team can do. And um, I I guess we don't really have to do much in terms of uh, looking in free agency. I think that a lot of it comes internally, and I think that um, if we just continue to grow, stay consistent, and stay healthy, we. Um, we can be right back into the final soon. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more as well. Let's get into some of the signings that the Cavaliers made, and most notably, most importantly, the number one thing on the Cavs' agenda, in my opinion, was bringing this man back, and they did so by signing Ricky Rubio. They used Rubio last season after his ACL tear to trade for Karis Levertz, and now we bring him back to a three-year, $18.4 million deal Two return for the Cavs. Last season for the Cavs averaged 13.1 points per game, which tied for a career high for Rubio. Also averaged 6.6 assists per game. I'm ecstatic about this news. I'm ecstatic that Ricky Rubio is going to be back, leading the second unit for this young Cavs team. What do you guys make of the Rubio signing? I am so glad Ricky Rubio is back. Not that he's this perennial all-star superstar type of guy, but what Rubio allows he allows Garland to play off ball, and Darius Garland excels when he's playing off ball. Now, you know, of course, Garland's your starting point guard. He's going to run your offense. But when you have someone in there that can also do it, it really opens up what you can do. I, th- I think everyone would agree last year that after Rubio went down, Garland got gassed so quick. He looked like he was running on empty from March through the play in, yet he was he was still going insane. But Bringing Rubio back, it's such a depth signing for this team, and it's it's what you needed. You needed another point guard, and you bring back the one that you're familiar with. It's perfect. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Dan, what are your thoughts? I, I was just going to say I agree with everything you said. Once Rubio went down, he was so important to the team, and we saw it like with his play, and once he went down, everything else changed. Everything else kind of spiraled downward at the uh, tail end of the season there. So it's, it's excellent to have him back on a very cheap deal. And we also essentially got Karis LeVert for free because, like you said, we we sent uh, Ricky Rubio over to get Karis LeVert, and we kind of knew that it was very likely he'd end up signing with the Cavs again once he became a free agent. And so now we have him again, and we got Karis LeVert for free for another season at least. Yeah, great moves from the Cavs. 
And for Rubio, I just think he makes everyone around him better. Obviously, like Matt, what you said, he compliments Darius Garland and taking some pressure off Darius Garland. But most importantly for me is that he just makes that second unit so much better by sharing the ball, by being able to score when he has to. We saw how it affected Jetty Osman and Kevin Love last season when Ricky Rubio was on versus off the floor. And he's just the perfect floor general for that second unit. I'm very excited about having Ricky Rubio back. But let's get into some of the other signings, some confusing signings, I'd say, by the Cavs. But I just want to get your guys' thoughts on them real quick. We did sign Robin Lopez, the free agent center, signed a one-year deal. Kind of confused by this one, but what are you guys' thoughts? You know, it's better than Moses Brown. It's better than Moses Brown as your backup center. You know, you have now four seven-footers on this roster, so you are simultaneously the tallest and smallest lineup in the league. The art of deception right there. Uh, But, yeah, when I saw that signing, I was also confused, but at the same time, He's not really going to play much because Allen and Mobley, whenever they, they can uh, manipulate the rotation, so one of them's always playing the five when they're not on the floor together. I'm not too concerned. And plus, we get to see Robin Lopez fight Moondog 41 times a year. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah. I kind of I want to keep Evan Mobley at the four, so I do think we're going to see a little bit more of Robin Lopez than you think. Um, but yeah, certainly a lot of manipulation can be had with this lineup. Uh, any thoughts on Robin Lopez, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't quite as shocked as other people were about it because we did need a backup center. That was one of our biggest needs on the roster. So as long as Allen and Mobley kind of, like Matt said, I think they will kind of share the five a little bit. I think Mobley will stay at the four for the most part, and Allen will stay at that center position. But we definitely needed another backup, uh, a true backup center, and we got that in Lopez. So. I don't. I don't hate the move. I think it's very good as far as our team needs go, and just with how our roster is, it's not like he's going to see the floor too too often. Ho- hopefully not. Hopefully nothing happens to Allen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that backup center was actually really needed. It was something that I wanted to target in the draft, even. So yeah, I'm happy we yeah. at least get something for that position here. And he is a veteran. He's going into his 15th season in the league next year. Last season with the Magic. Only averaged 7.1 points per game, 3.5 rebounds per game on 55% shooting. So nothing to get too fascinated by with Robin Lopez, but he's just going to be be that backup veteran presence for this young Cavs team. Also funny guy fighting with the mascots, like you said, Matt. And he also (laughs) tweeted just how strict is Cedar Point with those maximum height limits. I love that tweet. If he just brings that kind of energy to the locker room, I'm all for it. So another veteran that the Cavs signed, though, was Raul Nito or Neto. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce the last name there, but his career stats, 7.5 points per game, 3.1 assists per game, 45.5% shooting. He's a 30-year-old point guard who I expect to get as many minutes as like a Dylan Windler did last season. Uh, Any thoughts for me on Raul Nito or Neto? Uh, Pretty much he's going to be taking that Rubio role until Rubio's uh, fully cleared by the team doctors, and then I expect uh, Nato to be on, on the G League team pretty much. I mean, he's, he's he's just Rubio's placeholder. Yeah, that's kind of what I got out of it as well. Likely just a backup signing until Rubio is cleared to play from injury. But let's get into Colin Sexton. We mentioned his name on this program already. He's a restricted free agent, which means the Cavs can match any offer from other teams. The Cavs also offered him a qualifying offer. And I just got to ask you guys, what should the Cavs do with Colin Sexton? 
See, with Colin Sexton, you're really in between a rock and a hard place because I don't know if you want to give him the money now because you still have to hold out hope that if you don't extend him right now, you'll have, ne- you'll have enough money next year that when a certain 38-year-old small forward from Akron, Ohio, <laughs> has an expiring contract that he might even consider the sequel of The Return. So, I mean, I don't know if you can do it now. And it's not that I don't like Sexton. I, I don't – I think him and Garland pair well together. As I know, I know that's a gripe that a lot of fans have with that duo. I just don't think you can play Garland and Sexton on the floor together because they're both defensive liabilities. It's not that they don't work together well off, offensively, but you can't roll out a lineup with uh, Garland, Sexton, marketing at the three, and then expect Evan Mobley and Jared Allen to go god mode in the paint. I think that's just unfair to those two. Yeah, I. It, it's a very uh, complicated situation because I would love to uh, to keep Sexton here long term. It's just a matter of where he fits because, kind of like he said, um, the the defensive liability there. I think uh, Garland has improved very greatly on the defensive side, um, more so a lot more so than Colin Sexton. But we haven't seen him in over a year, so we don't really know exactly what we have in him at, or what we would have in him at this point. But I don't know personally. I would love to keep him here. I'm surprised that no teams have, at least not that I'm aware of, have uh, made any big offer to him yet. Uh, but. I don't know. It's a very complicated situation, and I would like to keep him here, but I guess we'll just see what happens. That we will. Personally, like I understand how good of a player Colin Sexton is, and I know a lot of Cavs fans want to keep him, including people at the station like Jeff Longville. He's a very pro- big proponent of keeping Colin Sexton on this team. Personally, I think Sexton's trade value is more of an asset to the team than his skill and talent right now. I think trading a Sexton and a Jetty and an Akuro with some first rounders could get us another star and a star that's more proven, more experienced, less injury prone and could balance that uh, Darius Garland pairing much better. The guy I'm getting to is Donovan Mitchell here. Uh, I, I just love that trade to me. That trade makes a lot of sense. I really like Donovan Mitchell as a player and I think he compliments Darius Garland more than Colin Sexton would, but... You sparked my interest, Jake. I didn't you know. Did. I didn't know you were going down the Donovan Mitchell trade pipeline. I I would just love to see it happen. I would and love obviously that the too. Utah I, Jazz are in a big rebuild right now. I wanted Dejounte Murray so bad, but at the same time, I will gladly take Donovan Mitchell. I think that's an upgrade over Dejounte Murray. Yeah, absolutely. If, I think it's an upgrade over uh, do, Colin Sexton. Do you as think well. Do you think Sexton, Okoro, and Osman with like three firsts is enough though? Because I don't know if that is. It's it's so hard to tell right now because of what's happened this offseason because mm-hmm. players who we don't think should be valued too high are getting traded for things that are just insane. Hey, inflation's hitting the NBA, so, too. Yeah, <laughs> it, it sure is. Like, we're going to talk about Kevin Durant here in a little bit, but right. I can only imagine what that return is going to look like. So uh, is, are they expecting a giant return for Mitchell as well? I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, I didn't know you were getting down the Mitchell pipeline. Well, you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute when we get to our further segments. Any thoughts on Donovan Mitchell, Dan, before we move on from the Cavs? Yeah, that, I've never really considered that one either, but it does interest me because, like you said, how for as much as I love Colin Sexton's talent, his, his uh, trade value might be more valuable to our team just considering that now our point guard position is 
almost too full. We 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 have too much to work with. So I would love to try to land someone like that as long as the as the price is not too steep. But yeah, inflation, like you said, kind of did hit the NBA. Like a first rounder is now three firsts and that kind of thing. So I don't know. Like I said, I guess we'll just see what happens. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely want to keep my mind open to that. Yeah, I'm going to have a heart attack here in a little bit reading off all the picks that have been traded <laughs> in these last couple of days. Last thing on the Cavs before we move on to the Brooklyn Nets. Do you guys think the Cavs should have been more aggressive in free agency? Or do you think the strategy that they're going with right now makes sense? And they're just going to commit to what they have and roll out what they have right now? See, at first I was very like angry. We weren't really going after anyone. But then I looked at like the roster. We have 14 guys under franchise control and you can only get 15 on a roster and i guess your bank for your like team improvement since you're so young you're banking on development as your improvement we're not really a team of established veterans so it really wouldn't make sense to we don't really have to look at bringing in outside pieces to improve our team because when you're so young you're hoping those players progress and that's where you're going to see your improvement from and that's the mindset that i've tried to talk myself into so i don't get mad yeah, we, in the past during our championship, you know, LeBron Kyrie era days, uh, we we've done that before where we've kind of reached out to more um, like like veterans on the market. But now we're at a point where we're we're past our rebuild. Now we're just building, and I, I'm I'm not surprised that we haven't reached out to or we've tried to make like some big splash in free agency or a trade or anything because I've always said that I think that our best the, the best way for us to go is to just work internally, just let our guys develop, slowly develop, because we have one of the youngest rosters in the NBA, and they've done exceptional and had the whole injury bug not hurt us. I think we definitely would have been in the playoffs. Um, somehow we even made it to the play-ins, which I thought we would end up missing it toward the end there. But I really love the potential of this team, and I don't think there's much that we need to do um, in terms of like external pieces to get that's going to put us over the top i think we just need to be patient and see how it plays out all right makes sense shall we talk about kevin durant shall we talk about him well you're the producer i mean it's your call (laughs) i think it's time to talk about the brooklyn nets and kevin durant's as he blew up the entire nba as he requested a trade out of brooklyn before we get into the details what were you guys' reactions to him requesting a trade were we shocked just give me the details it's Kevin Durant. Are we really surprised? Like, it's KD. This man switches teams the way Kim Kardashian switches husbands at this point. Like, it's just expected. Like, I'm surprised he even stayed in Brooklyn for two. Was it three years or two years? I think it was. It was three years, but he was injured the first year. That's what it was. Yeah, I'm surprised he was even there that long. I, I, he doesn't even have a player. His contract's so weird because he doesn't have a player option or a team option. So, I mean, he doesn't have a say in where he goes. So this whole thing is going to get absolutely insane. Yeah, his preferred destinations don't really mean anything to the Nets when they can really deal him wherever he wants. I just don't get how people are still just absolutely shocked by this news because it is Kevin Durant. You put him on a team with Kyrie Irving, who has a big enough ego as it is, who doesn't like to play with other star players, and yet he can't carry a team on his own at this point anymore. So... It's just no surprise to me that he wants out. And it seems like he wants out because of Kyrie Irving. So if Kyrie Irving ends up getting traded, I could see him maybe staying. But at the end of the day, I think 
you know, this whole thing just kind of blew up in their face like I predicted. And this is why I said they're going to be a play-in team at the absolute best this year because all that drama is just going to cost them. And it already has, and it's only going to get worse from here. Yeah, I agree. The Heat and Suns are his preferred destinations. Obviously, the return would have to be substantial as one of the clear best players in the league is on the trade market. What do you guys think of the Heat and Suns being the preferred destinations and what trade packages could look like for both of these teams? What do you guys think? Are we surprised Kevin Durant wants to leave his current situation and go to the best team in the league? I feel like we've seen this one before. Uh, but Who are we, you calling the best team in the league? Well, both the one seeds. The Heat and the Suns were the okay. one seeds in each conference, so that's I mean, where that came from. That's fair. Uh, but, you know, if the Suns were to get him, I came up with two plausible scenarios. One of them would be Devin Booker and five firsts or a sign-in trade that would include DeAndre Ayton and seven or eight first-round picks. Like, this Kevin Durant trade is going to be a haul. And uh, my Heat trade package I came up with, I mean, this one's going to be a little bit of a jab at Logan. The Nets will receive uh, Heat culture because we know that they're a complete dumpster fire right now. Uh, So they'll get the Heat culture uh, for Kevin Durant. But, you know, that's not – I don't get how Miami can pull off a trade because KD reportedly said that he wants Lowry, Butler, and Bam Adebayo all to be in place if he goes there. So I don't know how uh, Miami could come up with a package where your best option is Tyler Hero. That just – that doesn't make sense in my mind. So I don't see how Miami could pull that off. Yeah, I agree with you, and I'll add this before, Dan, you give your trade packages. To me, I just don't understand KD's, like, leverage here because he doesn't have those player options – you know, it doesn't him saying that means nothing. No, nothing, Nets, you know, nothing at all. So it's just what he prefers. And it's breaking news. But really, it it doesn't really matter all that much. Dan, how about you? Yeah, I think that ultimately the Suns will probably end up getting it. I think that's the most likely team. But then again, I'm not sure, because like you said, it's just because those are his preferred destinations doesn't necessarily mean that that's the team that's going to end up getting him. But Man, if we if we look at some of these other trades that have happened and just the haul that it got, like who knows what Kevin Durant's going to land. So I think it'll end up being at least four first round picks, and then you have to throw in maybe like a Michael Bridges or a DeAndre Ayton in there. I don't know. It's the the it's it's going to be a huge return, but it's probably still going to be too much because ultimately he's going to end up going to another team that's also a first. Uh, seed because he just can never be happy wherever he goes. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, real quick before we go to break, here are my uh, trade packages for KD. If you were to go to the Heat, I have um, so obviously the Butler, Bam, and Lowry would have to stay in Miami, that whole uh, scenario. So I stuck by that here, even though it doesn't really matter. I have the trade package being Tyler Hero, Victor Oladipo, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, and four first rounders. I don't even know if the Heat would want to do that because I, other than KD, Butler, Bam, Lowry, you wouldn't have anything else. No, not at all. So I don't even know if the Heat would be interested in something like that. And then for the Suns, they might even look to add a current star to the roster in KD. I could see them trading DeAndre Ayton, Landry Shamitz, Michael Bridges, and throw in four or five first-rounders in there too because you have to spice it up first-rounders. With inflation, they're just going all over the place in the NBA like we've been mentioning. And I also want to get one other team that could be in the mix for KD. 
uh, it was reported that more than half of the league has been making calls to the Nets for KD. So I asked you guys to come up with one more team other than the Heat or the Suns. Who do you have and potential trade packages? Do you think it's realistic? Go ahead. I have the Utah Jazz as my destination for Kevin Durant because Utah just got four free first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. Technically five of you include uh, the uh, the Timberwolves draft pick that they included in that. So Utah has five first-round picks, and they still have Donovan Mitchell. That The five first-round picks aren't even their own. So you like Utah could easily give up eight first-round picks, five of which aren't even yours, and Donovan Mitchell, and then you'd have Kevin Durant pair with Mike Conley. I, I don't. The West is weak. That might work. Yeah, I can see it happening. Dan, how about you? Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen that the Toronto Raptors are a dark horse team because he mentioned that he could he could see himself playing there. I just don't know how much they could give up to get him. That wouldn't involve someone like a Scotty Barnes. So it'll have to end up being if they don't want to get rid of Scotty Barnes, they'd have to end up get getting rid of of. Maybe OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and at least five first-round picks. Yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly what he's going to yield. All I know is that it's going to be a lot. And if I'm Toronto, I don't know if I'd blow up the core just to get him. Matt, tell me if I'm wrong, but KD going to the Raptors, is that a spark of memory of yours? It does. You guys, you guys can go back and listen to that, actually, on yeah. SBT Overtime, where you can get them on all podcast platforms, Ooh. where we did an alternate universe in which the 2015 Cavs didn't get injury struck in the playoffs. And in that scenario, I predicted Kevin Durant to go to the Toronto Raptors during the 2016 NBA free agency frenzy. And if that happens, call me a madman or a genius. I think that would be so funny if KD ends up on the Raptors. Preferably the second part. Call me a genius if that happens. Yeah, I would have to. That would be your new introduction to every single show. Yes, it will. Uh, Before we go to break, though, I'm going to give my trade package for KD. Then when we come back, we're going to talk about Kyrie Irving for the Nets. So mine, I wanted to just pick a team that's kind of far-fetched, kind of out there, who might make a call. And for that, I have the Washington Wizards here. I could see them trading uh, Porzingis, Kuzma, Hachimura, and four first-rounders to get KD, potentially throw even more picks in there because... All these trades have been ridiculous, but I could see the Wizards trying to pull something off to get KD to bring in another star to pair up with Bradley Beal. That's kind of where I was going with that. We'll see what happens, though. The KD sweepstakes are officially underway, and we'll see where he goes. Potentially one of the best players in the NBA right now. I have him in my top three, that's for sure. But when we come back, we're going to talk about Kyrie Irving, wrap up our conversation about the Nets, get into the Lakers a little bit, talk about the NBA trades and signings that have happened so far in the offseason and free agency. So don't go anywhere. We're only getting started here on WZIP. with more sports power talk the best sports talk show there is was and ever will be my name is jake Murray, the host of your show today and joining me are my analysts first dan Groen. how's it going everyone and second matt Permuka. hello akron and let's just be completely transparent you guys are sharing a mic right now yes yes we are so we're having a bit of technical difficulties with the third mic here in the studio today so if there's any dead space between them talking if there's a little creaking of the mic 
We apologize, but we're making things work here for Sports Power Talk today. And let's jump right back in to the NBA conversations. We left off on KD. Let's pick up on Kyrie Irving. Earlier on in the week, he opted into his option with Brooklyn to return to the team. And now, with the KD news breaking, turns out he wants out. He wants to join the Lakers, wants to pair up with LeBron James once again. And I want to ask you guys first off, because as Cavs fans, I've seen a lot of Cavs fans have mixed emotions about this. I've seen some fans be happy to see these two men reunite. And then I've seen other Cavs fans be annoyed saying that they should have just stayed in Cleveland and won more championships. What are your guys' thoughts? You know, I would like to see it, actually. I don't really... I think I can look at this now, since the Cavs have a good young core, where I won't feel like I'm being deprived of competent championship-quality basketball in Cleveland just because of our big three now. I, I, would, I would love to see it. I think Kyrie, is, Kyrie and LeBron are just such a fun duo. They were that... Those Cavs years were just... That was primetime television every night. That was can't miss. And you can put that in L.A., and they might get 45 wins. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> right. I On paper, it does not... I, I do not like it because why couldn't that have just stayed in Cleveland? Why can we be more... Why, why can we be champions more? But at the same time, I, I don't think it's going to work. I think that... Kyrie is still not going to be happy there. He's going to arrive there, but somehow he's still not going to appreciate it. He's going to be like, "Oh, I remember why I left LeBron again." And you know, if you're not if you're not happy in LA with LeBron, you're not going to be happy in the like anywhere else in the NBA. So, I I, I don't want it to happen, but at the same time, I'm not threatened. I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, I I certainly do understand the frustration by Cavs fans, but I more so lean on the side where. I'm a fan of this happening. Sure, we could have won more championships, but I think Kyrie Irving is simply in a better place right now in his career and in his just total mindset. And you can judge the things he does off the court. Sure, they're weird, but I think overall the man is better today than we've ever seen him. So if he goes to the Lakers, honestly, I would probably root for the Lakers. They'd probably become my second team, and seeing Kyrie and LeBron on the floor again together, it would be something I would love to see. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Do you think he will play for the Lakers next season? You know, the Lakers, they brought back Russell Westbrook as he opted in to play another season with the Lakers. He exercised his $47.1 million option to return to the team. Some people are critical of that move by Russell Westbrook um, since James Harden opted out of his contract with the 76ers, trying to restructure it, maybe a more team-friendly deal. But regardless, do you think a Kyrie Irving and Russell Westbrook trade could make sense? Do you think it happens? We all saw how successful uh, Russell Westbrook was with L.A. last year. So I really cannot see them holding on to him. I really just can't see that same core staying together, just considering how much it fell apart pretty much the entire year. It, it was it got off to a horrible start from uh from the very beginning so I think they really have no choice but to trade uh, Westbrook and I think that if anyone's going to trade for him I think it's going to end up being the Nets because they got to get rid of Kyrie too so I think that a reunion will end up happening but like I said I don't I can't say whether it'll be successful I don't think it will be but I don't know how much worse it could get from last year with uh, LeBron and Westbrook makes sense I've seen some trade offers out there with Westbrook Taylor Horton Tucker and a first round pick for Kyrie Irving I think the Nets would entertain that deal. What do you think, Matt? 
I don't know why the Nets would do it unless like you knew Kyrie Irving was not going to suit up for you this season and that you knew he would, since he has a player option, you knew the only team he would accept a trade to would be the Lakers. That is the only way in which I can see this going uh, going on. I don't know if you're Brooklyn, why you would want to take on an extra $11 million in cap space and pair the elite shooting duo of Russell Westbrook and Ben Simmons in the same backcourt. That sounds like a recipe to finish 12th in the East, if I've ever seen one. Yeah, I would agree, but with how the NBA is, I feel like teams just don't learn their lesson. Like, how did you not see KD and Kyrie like just completely blowing up? Well, how how could you not see that happening in L.A.? I, I think teams just don't learn, and super teams are still going to happen, and I, I just don't think that it's going to work, even though... I, I don't know. I, I feel like it could happen, and it probably will, even though it shouldn't. Yeah, I'm more optimistic if a Kyrie Irving trade were to happen. I think it could work out for the Lakers. But what just what happened to the Nets, man? They had KD, Harden, and Kyrie, and after this offseason, they could potentially just be left with Ben Simmons. When you put a bunch of emotionally insecure men together that aren't accountable, it's exactly what happens. Yeah. When you're, when you're afraid of accountability and you run from challenges and you just have a team of guys that deflect, this is what happens. You get bounced in the first round of the playoffs. You're a play-in team. You barely beat the Cavs that are injury-riddled. And, yeah, that was the only play-in game they had. And then you just embarrass yourself against the Celtics. Like, I, as Dan said, I don't know how people couldn't see that coming. Yeah, it makes sense. If we were to give an off-season grade for the Nets, what would you give them? A dumpster that is on fire in space. Okay. I'm trying to think of where that ranks on the on the A. It is it is well below F. It makes F seem like an Olympic gold medal. Ooh. Yeah, I'd give it somewhere between an M and a W. (laughs) Not a Z? It's higher than a Z. eh, Maybe a Z. Maybe a Z minus. Yeah, Z minus. All right. Yeah, I, I'm going to go right there. I had F- minus in my notes, but if we're going that far, I'll, write, I'll, I'll go with the Z-. minus. I'll agree with Dan here. Let's get into some of the trades that happened in the NBA, and we'll start with Malcolm Brogdon going to the Celtics. The Celtics got Brogdon, who last season scored 19.1 points per game, 5.9 assists per game, 5.1 rebounds per game, and shot the ball better than Jason Tatum did in the finals. For the Pacers, they got Daniel Tice, Aaron Nesmith, Nick Stoskis, Malik Fitz, Juwan Morgan, and a 2023 first-round pick. What did you guys make of this Brogdon to the Celtics trade? And give me your grades for both teams. I think Boston gave up a bit too much, but I really like it for them. I'll give them a nice solid B+. I would give them an A- because they got an excellent playmaking point guard that they really needed. And the... uh, they gave up a lot in quantity, but I don't think they gave up a whole lot in quality. I think that they end, they'll they get the better end of the deal. I think it'll definitely pay off for them, and I expect them to be right back to where they were uh, last, this last season. Yeah, I don't think it could have been said better, Dan. It's a lot of quantity, but not a lot of quality. I give the Celtics an A. I think Brogdon with Jason Tatum 
and uh, Jalen Brown makes a lot of sense for the Celtics, and they're going to be very well off next season in the East for the Pacers. I give them a B minus here. They got a lot of players to work with. They also got that first round pick, but we'll see how that turns out for Indiana next season. Moving on from that, though, let's talk about DeJounte Murray going to the Hawks. Matt, I know you wanted Murray on the Cavs. Nonetheless, he teams up with Trey Young in Atlanta. I hate Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks, <laughs> and they just got really better. They can run. They can run. They can run you to death. Sorry, I couldn't get my words out. Uh, yeah, they can run you to death. They can shoot from anywhere on the court. I would not be surprised if there's games where they can put up 145 points consistently. And now they can defend. Dejounte Murray's an all-star. He is a defense. He's a defensive piece in that backcourt. He can get you 18 to 22 a night. Atlanta might not be in my favorite to win the East, but I can definitely see them going top four and getting home court at least one round of the playoffs. Yeah, very high on the Hawks. I'll break down the trade real quick. The Hawks got Murray and Jock Landell. The Spurs get Danilo Gallinari, who is expected to be waived. A 2023 protected first-round pick, 2025 first-round pick, 2026 pick swap, and a 2027 first-round pick. Dan, give me your thoughts. Yeah, they definitely got the better end of the deal by far because they got an all-star to pair with Trey Young. They're going to be one of the best shooting teams in the league if they aren't already. And they pretty much gave up a bunch of picks that aren't going to mean anything to them. So this will probably put them another step above. I think that they won't be kind of that like middle of the pack to lower tier team. I think they're going to end up being like a top four team in the East. Yeah, I could see it happening. In terms of grades, I'll go first, I guess. I'll give the Hawks an A here. Pairing Trey Young with DeJounte Murray makes a lot of sense. Plus, they still have John Collins. I think they should keep John Collins, even though rumors are that they won't. For the Spurs, I think they're taking the OKC route here, but instead they just don't have any good players to build around. So I'm going to give them a C-. minus. They have an average player age of 24 years old, and they have 11 picks in the next seven years. Again, that OKC type of uh, route in the NBA with a rebuild, but just no one to build around again. C- minus for the Spurs. Matt, go ahead with your grades. I don't want to give Atlanta an A+, and because I don't like them, I'm just going to give them an A. I, I again, I'm just so livid about the Trey Young. I still have nightmares of that. Uh, one the time he hit that step back over Karis Levert from the C in the play-in game, that still haunts me. And they just got better. The Spurs, they got a decent haul in return. I'll give them a solid B minus. Yeah, I would have to agree with Jake on this one. I think that the Hawks got a. I'd give them an A, and then yeah, probably a C minus for the Spurs. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about a different Hawks trade with Kevin Herter going to the Kings. The Kings acquire Herter, and the Hawks get Justin Holiday, Mo Harkless, and a 2024 protected first-round pick. Real quick, grades analysis, what you guys got? I feel so bad for Kevin Herter. He's going to Sacramento. Can you tell me, can you name one player that's gone to Sacramento and it's worked out for them? I mean, Eggs. DeMontis Sabonis might. Sabonis. Might with Darren Fox. Well, yeah, it might. Yeah, they've been constantly mess ever since those '90s teams were broken up. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I just my condolences to Kevin Herter. Uh, Sacramento, I'll give this trade a solid B. Good player, really good shooter, good ad. Uh, Atlanta, I really don't know why they do this. I'll just give them a C. I would agree on those grades. I just it, it, it certainly wasn't the biggest move of the off season, but. To me, it was one of the most questionable ones because you just gave up a really good role player to a team 
that really has nothing to offer. So I just don't get why you want to get rid of him just for, for essentially nothing. So I, I would also give the Kings probably a B-plus in this one. Um, I didn't give him an A only because it's the Kings and they're probably going to ruin his career anyway. Um, and then for the Hawks, I'd probably give him a C. Yeah, I'm going to give the Kings a B-plus here. I really like Herder, and I don't know why the Hawks would trade away one of their biggest role players, like you said, Dan. Plus, teaming him up with De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, I could see them doing better than they did last year. And you guys are very low on the Kings. I'm a little bit higher, so I'm going to give them a B-plus. For the Hawks, though, like I said, I just don't understand the move. I'm going to give them a B-minus here. Let's talk about the big trade that went down, though. Of course, it's Rudy Gobert going to the Timberwolves. And this is where the heart attack is going to come in because there's a lot of picks that i got to run through here. So the Wolves are get Gobert, the three-time defensive player of the year. And the Jazz get Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Balmero, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt. And now all these picks, a 2023 first-round pick, 2025 first-round pick, 2026 pick swap, a 2027 first-round pick, and a 2029 protected first-round pick. That is all. And it is a huge, huge offer for Rudy Gobert. What do you guys make of this gigantic and pretty unexpected trade going down in the NBA? I just want to give a shout-out to Northeast Ohio's own Brian Windhorst for calling this trade on national TV very cryptically four hours before it happened. Northeast Ohio, gladly gladly representing Brian Windhorst there. Uh, But wow, yeah, that trade, when I saw that on Twitter, I... I, my jaw just dropped. Um, where do I start with it? I just tall balls back in the NBA. You know, you're back to playing two seven footers. You can play Gobert at the five, Cat at the four. I th- Gobert is going to add so much to Minnesota because their biggest struggle last year was on the defensive end. And you can now move Carl Anthony Towns to the four. He doesn't have to worry about defense anymore. You have Gobert in the paint. Gobert doesn't have to worry about offense anymore because he's paired with Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. This team is going to be really scary in the regular season. Re- I think they could get 55 on the brink of 60 wins. I just in the playoffs we haven't seen in this decade, well, most recent decades, teams that run tall ball how how they've done in the playoffs. So I think this team is. I'm really excited for them in the regular season. In the postseason, cautiously optimistic. I think they ended up giving up way too much for him, to be quite honest with you. They added another great piece to their starting roster. Their roster is amazing, at least the starting roster is, and they got you know the best defensive player there really is. But they also gave up a huge portion of their bench. It seems like their bench is all gone at this point. And they gave up way too many picks for a team that I think is still very young and still kind of not quite at that next step, so they could maybe value those picks a little bit more. I think they gave up a little too much, but I think that that starting roster, if they can all stay healthy and get and spend most of the time on the floor, I think they are going to do a lot of great things. I'm just concerned that 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 all that depth they gave up might hurt them. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the Timberwolves also extended Carl Anthony Towns to a four-year, $224 million super max extension. He's under contract with Minnesota for the next six years. And like you said, Matt, Carl Anthony Towns now gets to play the four and truly engage with his offensive game. I absolutely love that. For the Timberwolves, obviously they have Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell on the roster as well. 
Last season, they ranked 24th in the NBA in defense by allowing 113.3 points per game. You add the defensive player of the year three times and probably the best defensive player in the league right now in Rudy Gobert. I actually really like this trade for the Timberwolves, but I do think they gave up a ton to get him. That's why I'm going to give the Timberwolves a B-plus here. And for the Jazz, I'm going to give them an A-plus because we knew a breakup was coming for Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And to get the return that they did, I absolutely love it for the Utah Jazz. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I don't think I gave my actual grades. Uh, So for Minnesota, giving them a B-plus, I think this team is going to be really good in the regular season, like I already said. Uh, then, but you still gave up a lot, so that's why I'm giving you a B. For the Utah Jazz, I have two grades for this. A- minus if you don't get Kevin Durant, but if you can turn those picks into Kevin Durant, A+++++, plus plus plus, and there's pluses until there's I can't fit anymore. Is that one on the moon, too? On the ah, Maybe Mars. Okay. <laughs> so Mars is better than the moon or worse? Mars is farther than the moon, so that'd be more pluses to add okay. on to the A. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Trying to grasp that, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with him. I would, th- I would probably give the Wolves probably a B, maybe a B plus, probably a B, and then the Jazz. I'd give them an A for all the everything that they got in return for him because you knew because you knew he was going to be gone, and the fact that they got so much in return, I'd give them an A, maybe an A plus. Yeah, makes sense. We'll see what the Utah Jazz do with all those picks and Donovan Mitchell. Are they going to move him? Are they going to keep him? The Utah Jazz, their their options are wide open right now. But let's get into a bunch of different signings that happened in the NBA. Let's wrap up this NBA conversation. Let's start it with Nikola Jokic. He agreed to a five-year, $270 million Supermax extension with the Nuggets. He's under contract with Denver for the next six seasons. And the rating two-time league MVP gets the largest contract in NBA history. What do you guys make of the signing? And, of course, give me your grade. I just want to give a shout-out to uh, Nikola Jokic. Just fat boy love. Fat boy love. <laughs> that man, he, he's, he's the reason that I still try to play basketball. If he can do that with his body, I can do that with mine. Except I'm not seven feet. But anyway, yeah, much deserved that contract. He's worth every single penny of that. He's the you know, two-time reigning MVP. It was it was all him this season, and he still got them into the playoffs, contending with Golden State. You know, he didn't have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. And when you get those guys back, watch out for Denver. Yeah, I love the signing too. Just just keep building around him and stay healthy, and I think they're going to be a team to watch for in the West. Yeah, I'm going to give this an A minus here. I just think Jokic makes a lot of sense. Obviously, the MVP, one of the best players in the NBA right now. I'm a little bit concerned about the largest contract in NBA history part, though. It might be difficult to build around him long term. If they can keep Jamal Murray, then I love that. But we'll see what happens in Denver. I still give them that A minus, though. Now let's go to another player that got a Supermax extension in Devin Booker. He agreed to a four-year, $224 million deal with the Suns. And it was also announced that he's going to be the cover athlete for NBA 2K23. So what do you guys make of the Suns bringing back Booker? I just want to say he goes from breaking the Kardashian curse because he broke up with Kendall Jenner to getting the 2K cover curse. I was going to give him praise here for breaking the Kardashian curse, and then he signs up for another curse. But in all seriousness, no, Devin Booker, he's, he's earned his max. He made it to the finals uh, the 2021 season. He had a 70-point game. This man is a superstar. He, can, he is one of the best pure scorers in the NBA. 
A plus for Phoenix. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not surprised that he got a lot of money in that signing. I just wish that he could stay a little more consistent and more and keep and just stay healthy. I think that's my biggest concern with him. So I would give it probably an A minus. Yeah, I'm right there with you too, Dan. I gave him an A. I think it's a great signing, and the Suns should be good next year as well. But still, some things open with KD wanting to potentially join the Suns. DeAndre Aiden up in the air, so we'll see what their offseason looks like. For me, though, the cover athlete should have been the guy we're about to talk to or, or talk about next in John Morantz. He agreed to a five-year, $193 million designated rookie maximum extension with the Grizzlies. The deal could be worth up to $231 million, and it's the largest contract in Grizzlies history. Your thoughts, gentlemen? That's an A. That's an A plus signing. That's an A plus signing. John Morant put Memphis back on the map. Like they're they're an NBA powerhouse now. They they are legit. I mean, like they've they've always been consistent. Those Mike Conley and uh, Pau Gasol team, or was it Marc Gasol? One of the Gasol brothers. They were always okay, but no one ever really took them seriously because there was no star power. And now you have parity in the league where you have superstars in small markets, and it's making the NBA it just so much more fun to watch. So much more fun to watch. Good on Memphis for finding Moran in the draft, and good on them for giving him his due. A plus. He was my dark horse for MVP last season. I knew I figured he wasn't going to win it, but he was putting up an MVP type of year. So I think it was very well deserved. I think he definitely deserved to be on the 2K cover more than Booker. But I love the contract. Give him an A plus. Yeah, the biggest superstar in the NBA right now, or at least the biggest emerging superstar that we've had. And I think it's an A-plus grade as well here. And let's talk about another star that got literally the same exact deal as John Morant in Zion Williamson. Going back to the Pelicans, who do you guys have, or what grade do you have for this signing? I give it a B-plus just because you have to. Zion's already showed he's somewhat disgruntled with the organization just because he refused to play last year. Then all of a sudden, the Pelicans made some moves at the deadline and they were able to make the playoffs. Now Zion apparently is fine with them again. So I'm confused. New Orleans was kind of in a lose-lose situation. Either you don't put him, you don't give him the max, and someone else does, and you lose out on Zion, or you bite the bullet, you pay him his 200 million, and you hope he can stay healthy or in shape, or on the court. I would agree with a B-plus, and I only give it a B-plus and not anything lower because of the fact that they were able to actually keep him long-term, just considering that it seemed like from the very beginning he almost it, he, he wasn't very happy there, and he became a lot more vocal about it. Um, but they were still able to keep him. They were still able to make a couple moves at the deadline. So all the... I just wish that he could stay a lot more healthy and more consistent. Otherwise, I don't know. I'd probably give this a B plus. Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. I have a B plus here for the Pelicans. Williamson has only played 85 games in three seasons, so that's a big concern. But they do have some pieces on their team in CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and Jonas Valanciunas. So I think the pieces are there. If Zion can be healthy, it'll work out. But I am concerned, so that's why I give it that B+. Let's talk about the Knicks a little bit, though. Jalen Brunson agreed to a four-year, $104 million deal with the Knicks, and the Knicks actually traded Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks to Detroit to clear cap space to sign Brunson. 
Some people think Brunson was overpaid. The Knicks also signed Mitchell Robinson to a four-year deal worth up to $60 million. What do you guys make of the Knicks' offseason and their signing of Jalen Brunson? I have no idea what the Knicks are doing this offseason, but no one's talking about that because the team across the bridge is a dumpster fire right now, and we've already had a little roast of the Brooklyn Nets. So I think that's covering the Knicks right now. I don't get how you can look at yourself in the mirror and pay Brunson what you did. I just, I, I don't think he has uh, sorry, the, the resume to earn that. I know his dad's an assistant coach at the Knicks, so I think that had to have something to do with it. But just, what is going on with basketball in New York City right now? I just, I don't get it at all. C minus. Yeah. The Mavs never even got the chance to offer a deal to Brunson. It seemed like the Stones were in place here to get Brunson to the Knicks. Dan, give me I'm, I'm just as confused as everyone else about the deal, so I would have to give him probably a D plus. Yeah, I'm going to give it a B minus because I am pretty high on Jalen Brunson, but not $104 million high on Jalen Brunson, plus their other offseason moves. Even with the draft, was really confusing for the Knicks. But before we go to break, let's break down a couple more signings. Bradley Beal, he declined his $36.4 million option to become a free agent, then signs a huge five-year max contract to return to the Wizards worth $251 million. My grade is an A-minus. I think Beal is a great player, and the Wizards finally hold on to a great piece. I think Bradley Beal is a solid player, too. I don't think he's worth a quarter of a billion dollars. I don't think he's worth that. But at the same time, again, your hands are tied because either give him the money or he goes somewhere that will. For that, I got to give it a B. But I just don't get how you can pay Bradley Beal a quarter of a billion dollars. I would have to agree with that. But like I said, time and time again, every new contract is the new biggest one. So I guess they kind of have to overpay him to keep him there and if they can find a way to build around him and get back into the playoffs, that'd be great for them. But I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm a little worried about the size of the contract, so I'd probably give it a probably a B. All right, we'll do two more before we head to break. Let's talk about John Wall as the Rockets bottom out, and he signed a two-year, $13.2 million deal with the Clippers. He joins Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in L.A. Give me your grade for the John Wall signing. I'm going to give it a C, and that's just because I don't know what's left with John Wall. I know he had that injury in Houston. He didn't play at all last season. You know, it's two years he hasn't played basketball. And so, you know, if you're going off what he was, this is a home run, but if you're going off what he could potentially be and just based off the numbers of the contract, I don't know how you can be really optimistic that you're getting prime John Wall, and that's why it's a C. I'd have to disagree. I think that he's still probably have some left in the tank but the fact that he didn't get a very big contract two years 13 million i think that's a really good deal for someone who has that veteran presence who can still contribute pretty significantly depending on how you use him i like it i'm gonna give him an a minus yeah i'm right there with you dan i'm even more over the moon about this signing i'm gonna give the clippers an a plus for bringing John Wall aboard. I think it makes perfect sense. Last one before we go to break, we got Ann Fernie Simmons agrees to a four-year, $100 million deal with the Blazers. Matt, I'll go to you first because I know you had some comments about this in our group chat. Simmons still Blazers. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I saw that in the group chat. Logan sent that in, and then I responded with, well, I can't say what I responded with because I'd be kicked off the air, but <laughs> basically, who's that guy? And who is that? And after doing a bit of research, I found out he's a pretty decent NBA player. And so, 
good good for Portland. Good for Portland. I'll give them a solid C plus, just because I, I I don't know who this guy is. Yeah, they have to move on from that uh, Dame era, from the CJ McCollum era, and the fact that they got him, pretty young player. I I really like the signing. I'll I'll give it a I'll give it an A minus. Yeah, I'm going to give it a C. I think he's a great player. He averaged 17.2 points per game last season with Damian Lillard on the sideline. I just think that a $100 million deal is a bit too much for a guy who's I think, still has a little bit more to prove in the NBA. But that'll do it for us for the NBA conversations on Sports Power Talk. We're going to cut to break. When we return, Dan's going to pre- or recap the Stanley Cup final. I'm going to recap UFC 276. We also have a lot of football conversations to get into, so don't go anywhere. This is Sports Power Talk. What's going on, everyone? We are back with more Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Merton, the host of your show today. I'm joined by my analyst first, Dan Groen. How's it going, y'all? And second, Matt Pramuka. How we doing, guys? I know the last segment, it made it sound like I was like an astrology person with all the space stuff I brought up. I don't believe in that. Don't Please, please don't think I'm an astrology man. Yeah, I don't either, but that's neither here nor there. Just, just have to cover my tracks. Yeah, absolutely. That's important. Dan, we'll kick it to you because we have a Stanley Cup to recap and your Colorado Avalanche... That's right. I called it from the very beginning of the season. I knew that they were going to take that next step up because they had probably one of the best teams in the league. They were unstoppable in the West. They blew through everyone. And it seemed like the Tampa Bay Lightning, for as strong as they are, they were figured out. And they ended up winning in six games. I had them winning in seven. It was still a very entertaining series. And I think it was probably the best Stanley Cup matchup that we've seen in many, many years. Because Tampa Bay, we all know how good they are. They won two straight Stanley Cups before. they The year before, they won the President's Trophy. And they were back in it this year. I still don't think they're going to go anywhere. I think they're still going to be cup contenders. But... I think there's a new dog in town, and that is the Colorado Avalanche. And I was mostly impressed by by 23-year-old Kale McCarr, defenseman for the Avalanche. Uh, he scored 29 points in 20 games in the playoffs, winning the Conn Smythe Trophy, which is the trophy that goes to the Stanley Cup Finals or the Stanley Cup Playoff MVP. Very well deserved. He also won the Norris Trophy this season for best defenseman. So, quite the hardware he's got at only 23 years old. He was most. He was definitely very well deserving of it, and a lot of other players for the Avalanche stepped up too. I was very impressed with Val Nichushkin. Uh He also had a very good resume to potentially be the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. So I'm just very happy, and most importantly, I'm happy for Coach Jared Bednar. Won the Calder Cup with the Lake Erie Monsters in 2016. He goes on to the Avalanche. He takes a team that had the worst record when he and when he came there, and he turned them into Stanley Cup champions. So I'm very happy with him. I'm very happy for the Avalanche, and I'm glad that Jared Bednar gets the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and I'm very happy for you in Colorado for bringing home that Stanley Cup. And I'm not the biggest hockey fan. Everybody knows this, but... I did go over to a watch party hosted by you, Dan, and that was a great time watching hockey. I texted you beforehand, and I'll expose myself because why not? It's fun, right? And I said I might have to leave at halftime. <laughs> and uh, 
cardinal sin. I don't even pay attention to hockey. I even that's not a thing. Yeah, <laughs> ho- yeah, halftime's not really a thing. There's uh, three periods with two intermissions. Yeah. I, I have learned my lesson. Um, but I did see a clip from one of the games. I think it was like game one or two in Colorado where they were singing um, a song in the stands. I forget the song off the top of my head. But just there's all the small things. Yes, thank you. That is their theme song. Thank there. you. Thank you. Yes, it was that song. And even after the song cut and then the broadcaster started talking, the game resumed, they were still screaming it in the stands and literally gave me chills. And that makes me want to become a hockey fan and get involved in that type of atmosphere. And you know what? This is a hot take. I do not like that song, and I'm not a big uh, Blink-182 fan. But the Colorado Avalanche fan base has got me to kind of learn to like that song now. Like, I, I kind of sing along with them when they're doing that. So hockey fans are the greatest. They pack the place. They pack the building almost more so than than NBA fans. And this is why hockey needs to be a regular talking point on pretty much all sports media. I know ESPN is starting to do that. But even then, their their broadcasts aren't great. The coverage outside of the broadcast is almost non-existent. So I think hockey needs to be more of a talking point. Uh, moving forward because their fans are just the greatest. There's plenty around, and anyone who says that hockey's not a sport or no one cares about hockey, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Don't <laughs> say there's halftime in hockey. It's not a good idea. <laughs> but no, I just wanted to bring up that video because it's rare that a sports video gives me chills like that one did. Mm-hmm. And to see that atmosphere in Colorado, I'm just ecstatic for all those fans and for the Lightning. Sorry, not sorry. You've won enough. Yes, and I also do not like their coach, or the, I don't like their coach, John Cooper, because it seems like every five minutes he's complaining to the ref about something. There was one point where the Avalanche scored. Uh, I think it was Pat Maroon on the Lightning got really mad and slashed uh, one of the players' skates. I forget who it was. It might have been Josh. No, I think it was Andrew Cogliano. That D- doesn't matter. And then he goes up and still complains to the ref about it. It's like you got away with a slash and you're still complaining to the ref. And so I don't like their coach. I don't like their players. They also play very dirty when they're down. And I'm just glad that they're out, that that they were eliminated. I still think they're not going to go anywhere. I think they'll be back. But it's just nice to see them lose because when they lose, America wins. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Let's talk about the USFL, another topic that, Dan, you're very knowledgeable about. And even Matt, too, because you guys were on a USFL podcast together. That's right. A wild podcast with the two of you guys and (laughs) Pat Weber. And today is the championship game of the USFL. It's the Birmingham Stallions taking on the Philadelphia Stars today at 730 at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium. I will be there. Dan, I know you're going to be there. And I'm actually looking forward to it. I've only watched one USFL game all season long. <laughs> but, hey, championship game, a lot at stakes. I got to be there. That's right. And it's going to be right here in Canton, Ohio, Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium. I'm more excited that there's just football going to be played there rather than which team I'm going to be cheering for. As a Breakers fan, I can't root for Birmingham. I got to go with the Philadelphia Stars, a.k.a. the Carls Jr. and Hardys, as I like to call them. <laughs> Because they're they have like the ugliest uniforms that I've ever seen, uh, and it really looks like it was sponsored by a fast food chain. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just excited to see some uh, championship football in Canton. My the team that I think is going to win is going to be Birmingham. They went nine and one in the regular season. A lot of people say, oh well, it's, it's because they had home field advantage the whole season because they had that bubble in Birmingham where every game was played. 
in the entire league. But that did not phase them one bit to be in a different stadium for the first time all season. Um, they were they were very good against who I thought were the most well-rounded team in the USFL in the Breakers, and I think they're favored to win this because I think Philadelphia, when they beat the Generals, that was considered an upset. I think the Generals were the more favored team. So I think that Birmingham's going to take this game, but I'm excited to see football either way. Aren't this, isn't the Stars mascot, like, ridiculous too? Yes, and a... his name is Blob. Yeah, yeah. I don't... The greatest mascot in the game, aside from maybe Dave the Wave. Yeah, I really, I'm a big fan of Dave the Wave. But, Matt, take it away. What are you looking out for? And uh, ultimately, your prediction in the championship game. Well, Dan, if you're going to say, if you're going to call me out for saying Birmingham had home field advantage and that's why they were 9 1, say, just say my name. I'm right next to you. We're sharing the same microphone. You can call me out. <laughs> I was wrong, okay? I, I'll admit it. I would have. I forgot that you actually did it. I'm saying a lot of people on social media did. So. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But uh, anyway, I got Birmingham tonight, and I don't want to root for them. But I was at the Guardians game Monday, and then my buddy Tyler and I were walking around, and there were a bunch of Stallions players there, and we sat next to them, and I got to talk to Bo Scarborough for a second. Uh, well, I didn't get to say anything. I just He dropped something, and I gave it back to him because I was too scared to talk because it's Bo Scarborough. He, he's 6'3", and I'm 5'7". Uh, yeah, he so, there for trying to talk to him. I, I, that was oh, man. my life flashed before my eyes. But, yeah, I got Birmingham tonight. I I never really bought into Philadelphia the entire regular season. I mean, you know, Dan and Pat will tell you that. I was on the podcast with them. Yeah, I was surprised they beat New Jersey. I thought New Jersey probably had the best offense in the league. But, hey, what do I know? Because I was wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, give, give me Birmingham by double digits tonight. That's my prediction. And it's it's really hard to predict how these teams are going to play out at the beginning of the season because you can look at them on paper and everything, but it all comes down to coaching. And we've even seen that with the uh, Michigan Panthers who have Jeff Fisher as their coach. And here they ended up finishing, I, I forget if they were dead last or if they ended up finishing second to last because they had a tiebreaker with the Pittsburgh Maulers at the end of the season. Uh, the game would actually, whoever won, would actually end up getting the first overall pick in next year's draft. So I think the NFL should learn from that. I think they should bring that, make that a thing. Instead of the Pro Bowl, replace it with the Toilet Bowl. I yeah. think they need to do that. Yeah, that's an interesting idea there for sure. I have three things to look out for tonight with the USFL championship game. First, if you're Jamar Smith for the Stallions, I would avoid throwing at Channing Stribling who has seven yep. picks this year. Cleveland Browns stars, legend Channing Stridley. Yeah, yeah, and the Stars are great at getting turnovers with 13 picks and nine fumble recoveries this season. Second, I would, they need to watch out for special teams as both the Stallions and Stars can have electric returns, which I'm pretty sure happened both for both teams last weekend. There was. The each, each team, I think, had a punt return or a kick return touchdown, yeah. and then in the next game there was another one. So in the span of two football games, you got to see three kickoff returns uh, for a touchdown. Yeah, and then lastly, if you're the Stars, you have to limit Jamar Smith not only through the air, but you can't let him escape the pocket and beat you with his legs. My prediction, though, I agree with you guys. I have the Stallions winning 24-17. to 17. But beyond just the championship game for the USFL, I want to get your guys' thoughts 
on the potential um, news of them coming back for a second season and exactly what the USFL should do differently to gain more attention, be more successful, and all that going forward. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they're coming back for a second season because I thought the XFL was a step ahead, and they're planning on coming back, I, th- I believe, next season as well. Um, some of them sharing cities. So I think what the USFL needs to do if they want to be successful moving forward, I think next year they're going to be in hub cities again, but they're going to be, I think there's going to be two or four rather than just Birmingham, which if they want to gain traction, if they want to keep growing early on, they need to get into their regular cities. Michigan Panthers need to play, and I think Detroit is where they play. I'm not sure. Pittsburgh Maulers, they need to play in Pittsburgh. Um, so they need to get back into their cities. And when the, there was a very good crowd in Canton last week, and I think that if any of these leagues, USFL, XFL, whatever, if they want to survive, they need to put a team in Ohio. Ohio always draws some of the highest uh, TV ratings. We care so deeply about football at all levels. Browns, Bengals at the pro level. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Steelers fans around here too. Uh, college, Ohio State, we live we eat, sleep, and breathe Ohio State. And then even at the high school level, Canton is home to one of the most iconic rivalries in high school football between the Massillon Tigers and the Canton McKinley Bulldogs. They pack the stadium at, at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium every year for that uh, rivalry game at the end of the season. So if if these leagues want to survive, they want to gain a lot of traction, they need to put a team either in Columbus or Canton. So that's that's my take on it. And, um, yeah, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, well said, Matt. Any ideas? I've got two potential theories on how the XFL could survive. The first one is you need to beg Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who's the commissioner of the XFL, for a merger by 2025. You need to get on your hands and knees because The Rock has all the TV deals lined up. He's got a, th- he's got a two- or three-year deal with ESPN and Disney Media. So there's, there's going to be such great XFL access. Uh you know, you need that. You need that for marketing because Dwayne Johnson himself is enough. Like, what are you more likely to watch? If you're going to watch a commercial with Shea Patterson and Jeff Fisher, or you're just going to see Dwayne Johnson. Like, it's The Rock. He's iconic. And then my second proposal from them, it's something that the uh, PLL does, the Pro Lacrosse League. They have these teams. They're all from a hub city. So, like, there's, like, Salt Lake City. There's, like, Atlanta. But what they do is each week – they travel to that hub city, and the entire league will play their games. So one week they'll be in uh, Boston. All the teams will play their game that week in Boston. The next week they'll be in, we'll say, New York. All the teams will play in New York. So I think that's something, a potential scenario that they could try. I don't know the logistics of that just because it's a football team, and that's a lot of stuff to move around. But, I mean, you got to be creative, and fortune favors the bold. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Any anything to and say they, there, Dan? They also need to avoid sharing cities. Uh, I know that the XFL is moving a couple cities, or, or a couple teams around. They there used to be the Tampa Bay Vipers. Uh, the USFL now has the Tampa Bay Bandits, and I think the Vipers are going to move to Orlando. I know the New York Guardians. I think are moving to Las Vegas. I think they have a Guardians team. And then yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, and then the. Uh, Los Angeles Wildcats. I forget where they're moving, unless they're moving to... But either way, Houston also has the Houston Roughnecks of the XFL, which was a very popular team, one of the most popular there was. And they also have the Houston Gamblers. I think the Gamblers need to move to 
Oklahoma because I saw they had really good TV ratings. And the original USFL in the 80s had the Oklahoma Outlaws. So I think that Houston should probably move there. And, yeah, if if, the, if they end up merging, which I would love to see, they just need to avoid sharing cities. And ideally would put teams in cities that don't already have a pro football team. But if it's lasted this long, if the USFL hasn't folded like the AAF and the XF, the second coming of the XFL did, then they're doing something right. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to the USFL experts across from the desk from me. So we'll move on to the NFL. And not many NFL headlines this week. It was kind of dominated by the NBA, but there are a few. So let's talk about Terry McLaurin, who agreed to a three-year deal worth up to $70 million with the Commanders. The deal also includes a $28 million signing bonus, which is the largest ever for a wide receiver. What do you guys make of Scary Terry getting a new deal? Good for you, Terry McLaurin. You deserve every penny of that. Imagine if he had competent QB play for, like, one season. I think the best quarterback he's had to play with was Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think, like, go back to week one, the one game Fitzpatrick was able to play before that injury took him out for the whole season. Do you remember, like, that weird circus catch he made on the sideline where he was falling away, ball on his opposite shoulder, and he brought it down in bounds? Like, Terry McLaurin, if he had any sort of decent quarterback play, we would he would be a hands-down top 10 f- 15 at the very lowest wide receiver in this league. And I want to give a shout out to how his agent structured this contract. This contract will expire when McLaurin is, uh, he will have just turned 27. So it sets him up for another massive payday in McLaurin's prime. So I'm, I'm excited for Terry and then hopefully he gets his money. Maybe he can go somewhere else where he can have a good quarterback. He pretty much took the words out of my mouth. I think he's one of the most underrated receivers and you give him a competent uh, quarterback, I think he's going to be among the best. I think he's going to be a top-five receiver if he ends up getting a good quarterback. Uh, so we'll see We'll see how uh, Carson Wentz does with him. Yeah, I completely agree. And let's give a little bit of an update on Deshaun Watson's trial. So the NFL and NFLPA concluded their hearing in front of Judge Sue Robinson. They met for three days, and while there were rumors of a potential decision to be made on Friday, we are still left waiting. Robinson did request post-hearing briefs, though, and those aren't due till July 11th, so a decision could still be a ways away. Reports say the case presented by the NFL, though, included no evidence of violence, threats, force, or coercion by Watson. What do you guys make of the updates to Deshaun Watson's trial? And I know this is something that you have looked very closely at, Matt, so I'll give it to you first. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from this, I know the uh, reports you were talking about were from a pro football talk. The part where they found no evidence of coercion is abs- that blows this case wide open. And the longer this goes on without us hearing a decision, I think the better this will be for the Browns. Just because, uh, just because, well, this whole Watson situation is incredibly complicated and people are very opinionated on it. I encourage all of you to have conversations with the women in your lives about this because this is a very complex issue and please just acknowledge how they feel about this. But from a football standpoint alone, I think... We're going to see Watson on the field at least nine games this year. I don't I don't see how he can be suspended more than eight games. And I think uh, Mike Florio put out another YouTube video either Friday night or Saturday morning on the Watson uh, stuff. 
his he has sources within uh, within the actual hearing itself because Mike Florio is still a barred attorney. So dealing with all the legal matters, they will talk to Mike Florio because Mike Florio knows how to word it in ways which are legally correct as long as representing the facts within just the facts within the cases themselves. And he said in that video around the uh, 12 minute mark, he said, I wouldn't be surprised if Watson isn't suspended at all at this point. And so I think we're going to see Deshaun Watson on the field a lot sooner than we thought. And I know, like, this is a really complicated issue, but from just from the football standpoint and me alone, I am excited to see him in orange and brown. Man, I'm I'm hoping this is the last show that we talk about this because it has just been a complete debacle from the very beginning, and I'm just sick of talking about it, honestly. And I'm sure most Browns fans are just because of how complex the situation is. But the fact that the pendulum seems to be swinging the complete opposite way now, where it seems like after the hearings, it might rule more in Deshaun Watson's favor. To me, that's kind of surprising. And I last week, I will admit, I called you out on the air, Matt, saying that it's going to be a full season. Anyone who thinks it's not is just fooling themselves. But now that I'm hearing everything that's been going on now, I will gladly admit that I am wrong. I mean, we will see still. I don't think it's going to be a zero-game suspension. I think anyone on Twitter who's like, we are going to see him week one, I think that they're getting way too ahead of themselves because I see way too much of that on Twitter. By the way, do not go on Brown's Twitter. It is the most toxic place there is. Brown's Twitter's awesome. Brown Twitter's awesome. People are fighting every day on there, and you just get to watch. Everyone is so loving and accepting on there of each other's opinions and viewpoints. Yeah. Yeah. Especially me, the Baker Mayfield supporter. It's very, very (laughs) difficult. It's very, very difficult to uh, engage with I wish that other mic was working. Then he could cut his mic. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. If I were to cut a mic, it would be both of you guys', and I can't do the show alone. But, (laughs) no, I agree with you guys. Everything you said about Sean Watson. No, like your mic, Mike, you guys are sharing the same mic. So if I were to cut his, it would also (laughs) cut yours. Yeah. Um, you can't censor me, Jake. No, then I, you censor Dan. I and Dan's innocent in this. Dan would just have to rip the mic away from you, which I'm not opposed to. At that point, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. No, no Logan Congrove on today's show. No threats of cutting mics. How about that? There we go. Because I know about- you're not the biggest Baker Mayfield supporter, but at least the the hearing his name doesn't like trigger some big fight or flight response. I mean, I said <laughs> oh, Baker no, Mayfield, then he booed no, into the I, mic. I don't have PTSD from this man like some people do. I mean, like. <laughs> I had his I like I have his jersey. Like that was the last birthday present my dad got me before he passed. Like it's like I really wish he got me a different player, like someone I didn't like loathe watching. It's like now I can't get rid of the thing. Because okay, it's like but- if I do, that's the last present my dad got me. But I'm like, it's Baker Mayfield. And my dad didn't like Baker Mayfield either. He got me that jersey as kind of like a prank gift. Because he really oh. liked prank. So every time I put it on, like he'd come up like he'd be like after he had a bad game and he'd just chuckle because like I'd be wearing that thing walking around the house. But, yeah, yeah. You have to at least appreciate what he's done, okay? You don't have to like him, but you got to at least give him credit. Oh, well, the 2020 season was the best Browns football I've ever seen in my life, but yeah. at the same time, like, you can always get better, and I think that's yeah. what they did. And I had no problem with that. I just didn't want it to be Deshaun Watson. I was like, why not Russell Wilson? But we've talked about this a million times before, so I won't get too into it because I know we got more stuff to talk about. That we do, and... <laughs> 
We'll save the college football talk for next break because I know we're going to talk about that a lot. And I'll go ahead and break down UFC 276 and all the action that went down last night. So the prelims were actually a lot of fun. Unfortunately, Jessica Rose Clark got her arm bent the complete wrong way in the first fight of the night, even after walking out to Shawn Michaels' entrance music. It was a great scene. Unfortunately, got caught in an arm bar. We also had two veterans retire, including Jessica I, who's from Cleveland, Ohio, and Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who got submitted by Jim Miller. Miller now holds the most wins in UFC history. On to the main card, though. The opener was an absolute bummer. Mm. Sean O'Malley was going up against the biggest challenge of his career in Pedro Munoz, and due to an eye poke sustained by Munoz, the fight was called a a no contest. Just really unfortunate. and Very O'Malley, disappointing. Exactly. And O'Malley said that the Munoz injury and just said he was trying to find a way out of the fight. And I completely agree with him because the eye poke didn't seem all that bad. I've seen worse eye pokes um, from guys like Daniel Cormier from Stipe Miocic. And those fights haven't been called. So we'll see if that fight gets rebooked on a future card. Then it was Robbie Lawler and Brian Barberena taking the cage. And this was my fight of the night. Both men were swinging. I disrespected Lawler a bit too much on the podcast last week. I will admit that. But Barbarena was still able to knock out the former champ in the second round. Then the fight that annoyed me the most, Alex Bejeda knocks out Sean Strickland in two and a half minutes and earned a performance of the night bonus. So on the podcast, Alex and I predicted eight fights, and this was the only one we disagreed on. So Alex... Alex Henry Sportsbook, he went 7-0, and I went 6-1. Very unfortunate that Sean Strickland could not get that done for me. But we were right on everything else, so people should listen to us more. Pejeda, though, he also called out the champ Israel Adesanya after winning since he has two head-to-head wins over him in kickboxing. The co-main event featured one of my favorite fighters in the world in Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. He fought Max Holloway in a trilogy last night and completely dominated the man. The fight wasn't close. Holloway was cut up really bad, especially on his eyebrow. And Volkanovski has aspirations to hold two belts, which I can't wait for. Plus, it came out this morning that Volkanovski broke his hand in the first round. So I have immense respect for the featherweight champion. Now, for the main event, the king of the middleweights, Israel Adesanya, comes out with a urn and a hat to the Undertaker's music, which was completely phenomenal. And while I didn't, that. yeah, it, it was amazing. And while he didn't make Jared Cannonier rest in peace with a knockout, he still dominated him to retain his belt via unanimous decision. Adesanya accepted the Bejeda fight in his post-fight interview, and I can't wait to see what those two men get into in the UFC. Overall, it was a fun night. While it was the best card of the year on paper, I'd probably say that UFC 275 was a bit better last month. But I'm still excited for what the future has in store for both champions. So that'll do it for this segment of Sports Power Talk. When we return, we're going to wrap up the football talk by talking about college football and some conference shakeups. And then we're going to get right into baseball, have our around the root question, talk about the All-Star game and voting, and of course, discuss our very own Cleveland Guardians. So don't go anywhere. Uh, 
Hello again, everyone. We are back with more Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. My name is Jake Murren. I'm, of course, hosting the show for today, and I'm joined by my analyst first, Dan Groen. Good afternoon, everyone. And second, Matt Permuka. One more segment, then I can go golfing. Yeah, looking forward to it. You're looking oh, yeah. forward to leaving the show? No, I love the show. It's just I get to golf after this. I love golfing, wow. too. I love two things. Today's a great day. Sports okay. talk and then playing a sport that I'm bad at but still like. I mean, fair enough, I guess, but let's appreciate this last 24 minutes while we got it. Dude, I'm just excited about all of this. I never said this show is bad. I love the show. I'm having a great time today. Good. Outside uh, of the mic difficulties, this has been great. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. Let's talk about some college football, though. As the U.S. or as USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten, league officials approved their membership and applications to joining the conference on Thursday night. The Pac-12's media rights deal is set to expire in 2024, which is a reason why this move happened. While the Big Ten is expected to negotiate a new media rights deal soon worth up to $1 billion annually, the Big Ten will now have 16, 16 teams starting in 2024. What are your guys' thoughts on this massive shakeup in college football? Well, it's no longer the Big Ten, and... I don't think it's going to stop at 16. I think a bunch of teams are going to end up hopping. They're going to jump ship. I think they're going to end up joining either the SEC or the Big Ten. It's just going to be two super conferences, unfortunately. And what bothers me the most about it is the fact that they're not even in the same region anymore. You know, you got all these teams in the Midwest, like Great Lakes region, and then you have USC and UCLA out in California. So, Those commercials with all the stadiums flashing They're going to have the whole entire... Yeah. I, I love that commercial. I think it's so well done. Too. And then yeah. now it's like we got teams all the way over there. Yeah, I, I just can't stand it. And what I think that college football needs to do is assuming that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be the big dogs and all these other conferences are going to eventually fold or at least merge into them, I think that there needs to be some sort of relegation system where you have your top teams in one league or one tier, and then all your middle teams, they play for a different championship. That isn't just the conference championship. I think, and then the best teams from that would move up. The worst teams in that super conference would move down. I think that would make a lot more sense than seeing Ohio State beat up on Rutgers every single year, and the game is over by halftime when Ohio State's up 35 nothing. So with that, like in the regular season... Would they only play those teams? Like, would Ohio State be playing Alabama and all the greatest teams in the regular season, or would that only be more of like a postseason type of thing? Uh, I don't know. I haven't really thought too deeply of it, other than the fact that, to me, it's. uh, I think Ohio State and and Alabama and teams like that should play teams of their tier. and I think that it shouldn't just be like a, ooh, two losses in your route for good. I don't think it should be like that. I think that there needs to be at least an expanded playoffs if they're not going to do the relegation system, which I can't see happening anytime soon. But at least expand the playoffs so that if you have two losses, you're not automatically out. And if there was a relegation system, then I could see like inter-tier play a little bit. Like maybe Ohio State does play a team in like that second tier, like maybe once. But... I think teams should play other teams of their caliber. 
Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm excited about this move as well because USC and UCLA are pretty decent football programs joining the Big Ten, and I think it gives Ohio State something to compete more for, and playing those teams in the regular season just adds to their um, motivation and momentum going into a college football playoff. You know, resumes are important. Strength of schedule is important. Ohio State needs more of that. So USC, UCLA makes a lot of sense there. Matt, any thoughts? I have an emotional thought, and then I have a theory. I'll do the emotional thought Emotional thought first. I cannot wait to just have these kids from Southern California come up to, like, Lincoln, Nebraska, Ann Arbor, Columbus, in the middle of November, play in a snowstorm, and just have, like, teams run 13 personnel and run the ball 40 times down those kids. Oh, my God. I, I want to see the coastal elitism that the West Coast has just disintegrate. I want the Nebraska Cornhuskers to embarrass the UCLA Bruins and the USC Trojans. Okay, but anyway, after that, I just I just really like hating on Southern California. But anyway, what I think this could set up for, I think this could set up for a de facto college football expanded playoff. All right, so the Big Ten's at 16 now. Let's say we go up to 20 teams. I know Oregon and Stanford have talked about Notre Dame maybe. Let's say we get up to 20 teams, all right? So now you have four regions within the Big Ten, all right? So your four winners there, that's your top four, and then let's assume the SEC has four. Now you already have eight. Two teams play each other. Big Ten championship and SEC championship are now your college football playoff games, and then boom, you have an eight-team playoff now. And if you can, you can even set it up earlier. You could cut the season to 10 weeks and then have a 32-team playoff. Yeah, I think they need more structure right now in college football and Dan when you're mentioning uh, your whole idea it kind of sparked an idea in my head with like the NFL they obviously have an AFC and NFC Mm -hmm. and they have divisions broken down into those conferences right I think uh, the same thing could work in college football making one like the Big Ten and the SEC would be like your AFC and NFC and then you could break those down with all the other teams and make it into conferences. Yeah. But then again, there are so many college football teams out there, whether it's a smaller program or a bigger program. So I don't know how that would work. But I like that idea of just more structure and making things make sense, not only for all these teams in college football, but also geographically so we can get those commercials back. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I-, I like the idea of that, but... It's just because there's just so many teams and there's only still, even if you format the uh, college football like that, there's still only going to be a few elites up there. You know, you're never going to see like a uh, like a Rutgers, you know, making it all the way back. I mean, at least not anytime soon. And then the other problem with what Matt said, which I agree with everything you said, other than the fact that Notre Dame, they're still never going to join a conference because they're a bunch of cowards. So, Notre Lame. Notre Lame. I, I think you said it wrong. Yeah, Notre Lame. Yeah. But yeah, they ideally they would join the Big Ten because geographically it makes most sense, and yeah. they're a very they're a very successful program. But they're still lame, and they're never going to join a conference. Yeah, we'll see what the future holds for college football. But let's transition to the diamond. We're finally talking about the sport that I'm most intrigued by this time of year. It's the MLB, it's baseball, it's the Cleveland Guardians. And let's start this with 
our Around the Roo question for the week. You already know, we debate around the table, and we bring it to you via our Twitter page, at WZIP Sports. And this week's question is centered around MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred. Not a fan of the show, not at all. But he, he does. He, he does. He hates the sport he's in charge of. The fact that he actually had to make a statement that says, I don't hate baseball, that just goes to show how bad he is at his job. Yeah, you're not wrong. I um, think he hates baseball. Yeah. yeah. He hates he, baseball. He does have an agenda for the future of baseball. And the question is, which is your favorite idea? So there's three of them, and I will give them to you guys, and I want your answers. So first is an expansion to 32 teams. Where they would be, who knows? I know Nashville's probably going to be like a first sure location for the MLB, but other than that, it's wide open. Second idea is a pitch clock in 2023. It's reportedly almost a certainty, which would speed up the game. And then lastly, to me, the most interesting one would be robot umps in 2024. And via Don Van Nada of Bleacher Report, Options could include an automated balls and strike system being fed to the home plate umpire via an earpiece. Another option could be a replay review system of balls and strikes with managers being able to challenge them several times per game. These three ideas, which is your favorite? And we can break down each one because each of these are so vast and can be talked about for more than just five minutes that we're going to. Yeah, I think that... Well, the pitch count or the pitch clock, I think that is inevitable. I think that is going to happen. I think the best thing is the robot ump because we have the technology as viewers to literally see the strike zone on the screen and and correct the ump who may call something a strike when it's a ball and vice versa. So I think that the best thing, which I've been an advocate for for a while, was to have that thing uh, feed into like an earpiece, like you were mentioning, to the ump. You know, don't completely get rid of the umps, obviously, because you need them. But having that earpiece would be ideal. Um, and if they want to speed up the game, I think the idea of them like being able to challenge strikes and balls would just slow the game down tremendously, especially in close games that are already long enough. Um, I don't think the MLB is in a place to be expanding at the moment. They probably will. I just don't know if they should. I think they should worry more about maintaining the fan bases that they have or maintaining the fans that they're already losing rather than expanding more and, you know, spreading it too thin. But if they were to expand, well, first of all, the Oakland A's, they it seems likely that they're going to be moving to Las Vegas, and that seemed to be, like, the first place that you would think of an expansion yeah. team. There's no relocation fee for the A's as well, and the MLB wouldn't charge them for moving to Las Vegas because the MLB wants that team in Las Vegas. So yeah. if you move that team to Las Vegas, then where else would teams go? You it know? seems inevitable. So right. other places, I would think that somewhere in like the Mid-South, probably whether that be Nashville or Charlotte would have to be one of them because pretty much everywhere in the South is Braves territory. And I feel like there's a big enough market down there to have another team, whether that's in Nashville or Charlotte, even maybe like the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area, I could see. Um San Antonio slash Austin, so one of those uh, cities I think should have a team because Texas is huge as it is, and that is an ever-growing area, the Austin-San Antonio area. Or I would even put another team in Canada, in whether that be Vancouver or Montreal. So Charlotte, Nashville, San Antonio slash Austin, and somewhere in Canada would be my 
picks for a relocation team. Yeah, I have an expansion team. I have Nashville for sure, and then I even have like a team in New Orleans could be kind of fun. Um, obviously, they would need probably a dome because of weather in New Orleans can be very unpredictable. I actually want a dome in Cleveland, but that's a whole other conversation. So you expand, all these ideas are very interesting. Dan, I'm actually going to get it back to you, though, because I don't think you said what your favorite idea was. Was it the robot umps? Yeah, it was the robot okay. ump. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, with uh, having having it being called like an automatic, automated thing, being called into the earpiece, that would be my vote. Yeah, I actually can't stand the option that would be a replay, like a review system. That, to me, sounds terrible. If they're trying to, like I said, if they're trying to make the game faster, faster that right. would just slow it down completely. Like, we all know how long the final two minutes of a one-score football game is when each team has all their timeouts and challenges left. It's the longest two minutes of your entire life. And, like, especially when a call is obvious, yeah. it's terrible. Every single ball and strike call is going to be obvious whether it was a striker ball. Yeah. If it's on the line or in the corner, maybe it's debatable. But usually if it touches the strike zone, it's more than less called a strike. It, it just If we can see the strike zone on the TV, if the ball is higher than the strike zone, it's a ball. And if that needs to be reviewed, it's just going to be a terrible process. Or they could do what the NHL does. If you unsuccessfully challenge what they do in the NHL, if you unsuccessfully challenge, a, uh, I think, any penalty, but mostly goaltender interference then you will be on the penalty kill. You lose a player for the next two minutes. It's a delay of game penalty. So maybe if you lose if you lose a challenge by doing that, that could be like a delay of game and maybe they put another runner on base. I don't know. Like treat it as a walk or something. Yeah. Okay. But let's just not like have that at all. Just no challenging that because if we have the technology to get it right the first time, there should be no reason to even challenge it in the first place. Yeah. Matt, any ideas? What is your favorite idea of Rob Manfred's agenda? I am team robot umpire, and I'll keep it short and simple as to why. I was recommended a video by YouTube, which was Angel Hernandez's worst MLB calls. And I am now leading the robot umpire train because I cannot stand to have that man ruin games anymore. I can't. No. Robot umps. Keep it simple. That's my pitch. So I'm going with the pitch clock here. I think the expansion and the robot umps are... Not far-fetched, but they're drastic changes to the game, I'd say. Whereas a pitch clock in 2023 is a minimal change to the game that I think would be great not only to attract more viewers, but just to simply speed up the game. We see Shane Bieber this year pitching faster and more frequently than he ever has before. And I absolutely love watching Shane Bieber because of that. Bring that into all the pitchers in the game, bring in that pitch clock. I would be a big fan. I agree with you, Dan, that expansion to 32 teams is unrealistic right now when the mm-hmm. league is falling in viewership, yeah. I guess, or just losing fans that they've had for so long. And then Robot Umps in 2024, I used to be so opposed to this idea, but you guys bring up good points. As long as, as, long as it's the earpiece option, yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah, you don't need Robot Umps to be you know calling things out at the base. It's It's mostly just for strikes and balls, just reading the strike zone. Now, th- there's one thing. I feel like I should know this by now, but what happens if you would go over the uh, pitch clock? Like, if you didn't pitch in time, what happens there? Is it like a ball or? I'm actually not entirely sure. Um, I feel like it's something that most pitchers would just get used to over time. It wouldn't even be an issue. But, yeah, I'm not sure if there's, like, a penalty for that. Maybe they just tell them, hey, speed it up. Maybe 
three infringements than a walk or something. I'm not entirely sure, but I do like the pitch clock idea just to yeah. speed things up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely am on board with that. But we also want your opinions on our Twitter page, at WZIP Sports. This poll will be going up right after we go off the air in just about 10 minutes. So you can go vote on Rob Manfred's agenda for the future of baseball, whether that be expansion to 32 teams, pitch clock in 2023, or robot ums in 2024. We want to hear your favorite. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, that, yeah. That's a whole other debate, but yes, I agree with you. Let's have our Player of the Week segment, shall we? Each one of us picks one MLB player to feature for Player of the Week, regardless of position, and could be for accomplishments on or off the field. Not last week, but the week before that when I was on, I picked Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Last week, you guys had your own picks, but who do you have this week, Matt? I will go to you first. All right, we're up against the clock, so I'm going to run through this. I have got Nolan Arnato over his last seven games. The guy's hitting 414, and he hit the cycle on Friday. That's the player of the week. Cycle makes perfect sense. Hard to argue that, but I have Chad Cool. He threw a complete game versus the Dodgers, allowing three hits and no runs. It was the first nine innings pitch uh, shutout by any pitcher since 2016. So I'm going with Chad Cool. Yeah, great pick there as well. Those were actually my honorable mentions. But my player of the week, no other than Joshua Douglas James Naylor, my favorite player. My favorite player in Major League Baseball. Not only has he had a great week for the Guardians in his last 14 games, batting 298, it was that walk off bomb in the 10th inning against the Twins on Wednesday night. Dare I say, the most electrifying man in all of baseball right now. Headbutting Tito on his way home. Absolutely love Josh Naylor and love what he's doing for the Cleveland Guardians. Let's get into some all-star starters real quick, though. Only seven minutes left in today's show, but we're we're in no rush. And I'm very excited for this segment with the all-star starters. And I want to kind of detail exactly how the all-star voting works for the MLB. So we had round one. Round one is already over. So it was a 25-day primary round where the top three vote-getters at each position, top nine in the outfield per league, advanced to the starter's selection. That's where we are right now. At that point, vote totals are reset, and fans have a 28-hour period to vote on starters from the list of finalists at each position. Finalists who don't win the starters election at their position are not automatically added to the all-star roster. And this year's voting, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Aaron Judge were the top vote-getters in the NL and AL, meaning they will automatically start in the all-star game. Right now, though, I'm going to kick it to you guys as you reveal the starters based on the finalists from the fan voting, and I will be the judge with the criteria being my very own picks. So go ahead, Matt, and we'll start with first base. Fair enough. All right. I got Jose Tre- uh, Trevino. Is that how you say his name? Trevino. Trevino. Okay. Yep. Catcher for the yeah. AL. I missed the t- oh, yeah. I missed the tilt. I put these in. I put these catcher, first, second, third. Yeah, my bad. We'll start with catcher. That makes yeah, okay. things catcher. a lot simpler. Yeah. yeah. And then in the NL, I have uh, Wilson Contreras. Okay. I don't hate the picks. Dan, how about you? Uh, we're starting with catcher, right? Yes. I got Alejandro Kirk in the AL. And uh, Travis Darnold, however you say that, in the NL. 
Well, guys, I I have Alejandro Kirk for the AL, so I agree with you, Dan, for that. But then for the NL, I have Wilson Contreras, which, Matt, you had. So right now it's a tie. All right. You guys are both ah. one and one with what I, I have. Let's go to first base, though. Matt, I'll go to you first again, AL. First place in the AL, uh, Vladimir Guerrero. And in the NL, Pete Alonzo. All right. We got Vlad Guerrero at first base. And Paul Goldschmidt on uh, in the NL. Thank you, Dan. Thank yeah, you. am I winning now? When you said Pete Alonzo, everything inside me cringed. Because <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt just is one of the best players in the MLB this year. This man should be up there in terms of MVP voting. And for all-star voting, this man needs to start at first base for the NL. And then, yeah, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. makes perfect sense. Right, so I'm winning now. Let's go. That you are. Let's go to second base. Who do you guys have? I've got Jose Altuve from the Houston Trash Cans, yep. and I got Ozzy Alb- Alb- Albies. Is that how you say? Yeah, Ozzy Albies. Ozzy Albies. Okay. Tongue twister. All right, I got Jose Altuve as well. We're going to reading a lot in the AL, but not the NL. I got Jazz Chisholm Jr. Assuming oh. everyone is healthy, right? Yeah. Once okay. again, my uh, my body cringed when you said Ozzy Albies. <laughs> um, Dan, you're taking a further lead. Yeah, I have Jose go. Altuve. And I have Jazz Chisholm Jr. Personally, I think Ozzy Albies doesn't even deserve to be in the All-Star game. He's on the IL right now, and he's just been playing outright bad. 244 batting average, 8 home runs, and 33 RBIs for the Braves. I think a guy like Jeff McNeil from the Mets makes a lot more sense here. 318 batting average, 33 RBIs. I don't understand Ozzy Albies at all, but that's okay. Matt. <laughs> You can redeem yourself with third base. I don't understand baseball either. It's you okay. can redeem yourself third base. Oh, Go this ahead. is a no-brainer. Jose, Mar- Jose Ramirez in the AL, obviously. Okay. And then I don't know if you're going to cringe on this one or agree. I'm going to I'm gonna have a feeling you're going to cringe. I'll go Manny Machado for Baltimore. Okay. All right, let's see. I have Rafael Devers uh, for the AL. You're not? What? No, no I'm kidding. Okay, I, got, okay. I got Jose Ramirez. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, so Jose Ramirez and um, I, also, or I have uh, Manny Machado at third base. All right, you guys agree, and I actually agree right there with you. Jose right. Ramirez and Manny Machado. A wash there. Let's go to shortstop. Who do you guys have? From the Chicago White Sox, I have Tim Anderson, and in the NL, I have Trey Turner. Okay, Dan? I have those two as well, actually. And I do too, so another wash right. there. And let's go to outfielders. So there's four listed here, and one was already confirmed with um, Aaron Judge and Ronald Acuna, so I want two out of the four outfielders here. So get me, give me two of the four. Let's start with AL. Don't give AL. me your AL or NL yet. Okay. Uh, Matt, you, just do AL outfielders. Two from the AL. That's correct. Mike Trout, George Springer. You want the NL now? Uh, just keep it with the AL right now. Dan, go ahead with okay. the AL. I also have those two. I highlighted three. I chose three. And it was close, but I have it down to Mike Trout and George Springer as well. So I actually highlighted three as well, and the one I didn't was George Springer. So okay. I'm high on all the other guys. Was it Giancarlo Stanton? Because I almost went with him. Yes, it was. He it, was he my, was my, my third two. as well, but it, unless it's someone else I'm thinking of, there's someone who's like has not been great. Like their at bats haven't been, or their batting average hasn't been great. But like the few hits they got were like. Eight of them were, like, home runs, two doubles, and, like, a single. Like, yeah. 11 out of, like, however many. 
So that's why I didn't chose him, just because of the inconsistency there. Um, so I have it with uh, Mike Trout and George Springer. Yeah, I have Mike Trout and Giancarlo Stan. NL outfielders, Matt, go ahead. I have Mookie Betts and Jacques Peterson. Gosh. Wow. As I, do I. Oh. <laughs> I can't win today. Jock Peterson is not deserving. Uh, I have Mookie Betts and Starling Marte. Only one more position. We have DH for the AL. Dan, I'll go to you first for this time. AL, Jordan Alvarez. Okay. Uh, should we do NL too? Yeah, go ahead with the NL. I also have uh, Bryce Harper there. Okay. In the AL, I have Shohei Otani. And in the NL, uh, William Contreras. Wow. wow. Um, Matt, you should just walk out of the studio right now. Um <laughs> No, yeah, no. Jordan Alvarez for the AL. Shohei Otani. This is a batting one. Shohei Otani is going to make it as a pitcher in the in the All Star game for batting for DH. I'm going to go Jordan Alvarez. He's been amazing for the Astros. By far their best player this year. For the NL, I have Bryce Harper. He's probably going to get replaced by William Contreras anyways because Harper is hurt. But Bryce Harper, I absolutely love this man. He's a great guy. And on the field, he's been doing electric things this season as well, which I guess that means I, I think Dan won. I yes, think Dan won the, uh, the all-star voting and the all-star starters selection show. And we'll see how it plays out. I'm not a huge fan of all these fans voting for the all-star game. There are so many, there are so many Toronto Blue Jays on these lists. Yeah, it's like, whole, it's like sickening. They have a whole nation country. Yeah. yeah. To, country. to vote on this. That's it's, why if the MLB expands, they need to put a team in Vancouver and Montreal. So there's not a whole country behind yeah. the Toronto fan base. Andre Semenes should be in this voting. Well, he was, sure. he was my snub, but we didn't go there. Yeah, I have a couple snubs. Andre Semenes, Luis Arise, Xander Bogarts, Jeff McNeil. Yeah. All of them should be in this voting. But the fans are going to do what the fans want. Adam Duvall for outfielder for the Braves makes no sense to me. He's batting like 200 right now. Completely terrible. But we're almost out of time. We pretty much are out of time. Give me one thing about the Guardians. We have to talk about them at least a little bit. One thing about the Guardians. Matt, go ahead. I went to two games this week. I went Monday. They lost 11-1. to one. Friday night, sat in the downpour in the bleachers till they postponed the game. Couldn't go. Gave the tickets to my brother and his kids, and they got sunburned. Yeah. You're, you're the curse. Yep. yep. Um, my big takeaway from these last couple weeks, they need to get some power hits. They need some quality at-bats. They were able to get by Minnesota, who has a very terrible fielding team. But as we've seen the last couple days, we cannot afford to do that against the Yankees. So we need Jose Ramirez back to 100%, and we need to get more R- – uh, we need to hit more uh, hits with men in scoring position, I can't talk, yeah. and more home runs. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I want more hits. Just in general, whether they're home runs or not, we're just not telling them together. I was at the game on Thursday, covered it for WCIP Sports. I hope you enjoyed all the coverage with Andre Jimenez's walk-off home run, back-to-back walk-offs for the Guardians. We can't sustain that over a long period, though. We saw it yesterday in the embarrassment that was that doubleheader against the Yankees. Hopefully, the Guardians can get things together, and that starts with their offense. All right. Well, that will do it for today's show. We talked about the madness that is NBA free agency right now. We also dove into the USFL, college football, the UFC, and, of course, the MLB with the Cleveland Guardians. Any last thoughts on today's show, gentlemen? Let's go, Avs. Be there for the USFL championship, and also stay safe on this 4th of July weekend, especially if you're in the Akron area. Just please be safe out there. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you uh, sometime soon. 
Jake, I'm not going to come on anymore if you're going to make fun of my baseball takes. I I will protest. I love making fun of baseball takes. Fair. I do. I barely do follow baseball, and you're. This and is that, like this is like if you make fun of a toddler for like falling down when they're learning to walk. I mean, would That's you not the, laugh too? No, because they're a toddler and they don't know any better. And in this case, but I'm a toddler. That, but does that not make it funny? No, because they're like two. Well, no, they're like six it was, months. It was funny when you called at halftime when I, we were talking hockey. See, that I was the so, toddler. There we go. I was a toddler about hockey. So, yes, it's allowed. Fair enough. Things Fair are right. Right. All right. For me, even though the NBA is my least favorite sport of the big three, it has been super entertaining to follow recently, and hopefully the Cavs are doing enough this offseason to make it to the postseason next year. I can't wait to see the USFL championship game today at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium. UFC 276 was great. The MLB All-Star Game will be great. And as always, go Guardians. Joining me for today's show were... Dan Groen. Matt Permuka. I'm Jake Murray, I'm actually going on vacation, so I won't be here for the next two weeks, but you can still enjoy SBT while I'm gone, as well as our podcast, SBT Rewind, SBT Overtime, and our Twitter at WZIP Sports. Until I speak to you again, have a great holiday weekend, be safe, be kind, and we'll see you next time.